Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, Rapid SOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become Rapid SOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit rapidsos.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey friends, what an honor it is to speak to today's guest, Bobby Hemline. Bobby is a wounded war veteran that is going to be doing a speaking engagement in Orange Mass on October 1st and 2nd. And when I found out about it, I thought it would be amazing to get him on the podcast and talk about mental health. Bobby was seriously injured in an IED attack in Iraq that took four lives in his unit. He was the only survivor. With burns covering approximately 40% of his body and the loss of one of his hands, Bobby has worked tirelessly to keep his PTSD in check and help others. At the advice of one of his occupational therapists, he became a public speaker and a comedian and is now not only changing lives with the events that he puts on, he is saving them. If you would like more information on the show in Orange Mass, please email me at tldridge at onscenefirst.com and I can put you in touch with the folks to get tickets. Now, let's welcome Bobby. Well, I just want to say welcome to my guest, Bobby Henline. I First, I, I really appreciate you being here. I know we put this together really, really quick, uh, but there is a method to my madness. So thanks, Bobby, for joining me. I, I appreciate you being here. How are you today? I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, a little bit different than what I normally do. So a lot of times the folks that are guests on my podcast are, are from some walk of public safety in the first responder and you're kind of a first responder in a very different way. <laughs> uh, but you are a veteran and I do need to first say thank you so much for your service. I know these last couple of weeks have been extremely challenging for you and your service brothers and sisters. So thank you so much for your service. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's number one. Uh, number two, I want to let you introduce yourself because I, I can't even, I, I wouldn't even be able to begin to do, to do it justice. If, if somebody was going to ask you to introduce yourself, uh, how would you do that? Tell us who you are and what you're doing these days and, and how you got on my podcast. I'll, I'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, hello, I'm Bobby Henline. I'm a retired army for tours Iraq. And I got injured 2007 by an IED attack when my occupational therapist going through therapy and everything talked me into doing stand-up comedy. Out of all things, you know, get involved, go to the hospital, come out a comedian. 
Oh my gosh. That, and you know, that was one of the things that I was going to ask you is like, did you do comedy before? Or like, is this something new? Cause that is something I want to touch on after, but it's new since, since yeah, the explosion. Since. I have, I've always admired comedians. I always thought I was funny. I thought about going to the radio and stuff, you know, with the radio broadcasting school back in the day. And I was going to do all these things and be the next, you know, shop jock. And <laughs> <laughs> That's but, uh, awesome. I had a, so, I had a call. 9-11 happened and I went, I went back in the military after a 10-year break. Okay. Okay. So if I remember correctly from some of the things that I saw, um, you went into the service very young, right? Like, wasn't it like 17, 18 yeah, years Yeah, originally old? I was in at 17 and I was deployed to Iraq for Desert Storm at the age of 19. Wow. And I, I think of the timing. Um, so what I was doing when you were serving and protecting our company, uh, country uh, was uh, I was cruising the avenue in my new convertible that I got when I graduated from high school. So nice. <laughs> that's, that's what I was doing when, when you were at war. Uh, I do remember writing a poem uh, for my gym teacher who was deployed to uh, the same, same war that you were deployed to. So uh, I, it, I did have a, a heart for that. And my brother served about that same time too. So in the Air Force, while you were over there, you said you did four tours, yeah, um, but your incident happened on your third tour, correct? Third tour of Iraq and Freedom. Okay. Yeah, Desert Storm being the first tour, and then I did three tours in this war. Okay. Iraq Freedom. So yeah, technically on the third tour of Iraqi Freedom is when my Humvee got hit. Okay. So and um, so the way my podcast works is folks can't see you. I, I will. Okay. I will be sharing. Um, you know, obviously some pictures. Um, I'll be sharing your websites, et cetera, and that they will be able to see you. But if you were to have to describe to somebody what happened to you physically, we'll talk about mentally after, but if you right. had to talk about what happened physically to you in that Humvee IED attack, what would you tell folks? Yeah. So the IED hit the Humvee, um, killing the four other men in the Humvee that were with me. I was burnt over 38% of my body. My head was actually burnt to the skull. I ended up having my left hand amputated two years later after trying to repair that. So basically my face, a lot of people like yeah, here all the time to see me is uh, Deadpool, Freddy Krueger <laughs> <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Um, of course, I play along with those jokes. I have fun with it because um, I get it. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what I look like, you know, and I always joke around. With, you know, technically, I was a first responder. I was a firefighter once. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> touche, touche. <laughs> Uh, I think it's great that you have a sense of humor. And that's one of the things that as soon as Jason had reached out to me, he sent me your TikTok. Um, so I have recently got obsessed with TikTok. I've been yeah. trying to get the cojones to put out my own content, but <laughs> it's challenging, right? Right. Uh, it's very but addicting. And once you start figuring it out, you can't stop. You're like, oh, I got to do that video. I got to do that sound. I got to. Oh yeah. So, God. so what I've done is I go through it. It's like, oh, I'll save that sound because I know there's something that I can do with that at yes. some point. So I've I've posted a few. So for those that follow me, they know on scene first is is my TikTok handle, I guess. So you want to call it? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's pretty much my dog uh, because I'm nervous. Even though I'm an extroverted people person, I get nervous 
while I'm getting ready to do stuff like this. Um, yes. And then a few uh, mental health and wellness videos, which is really going to be what my, what my platform is. So you do talk about mental health a lot, but you put a funny spin on it. And I think that's, that's really important. So you said your occupational therapist was the one who kind of pointed you towards doing the um, comedy thing. Yeah. She's like, you got to do stand up. I'm like, ah, but this is funny because we're all a bunch of veterans in here. We're all been wounded. We have a dark sense of humor. The hospital staff, same thing, first responders. We all have to have a doc, dark sense of humor to deal with our jobs. Right. So it's just, I thought only we would laugh at it. But she kept bugging me and nagging me, I say, to, to try stand-up comedy. And so just to get her to be quiet and leave me alone, I'm like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> so I've been trying to prove her wrong for 12 years. I'm still trying yeah, to prove her wrong. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't work. Um, you're, you're a pretty funny dude. And... I, I do think it's great that you use humor in this, but it wasn't, it wasn't always funny, right? No, no, definitely. You know, the, the dark days, um, you still have your, your dark days. So those days, mm -hmm. it's always an up and down. Um, the good thing is those, once you go through it long enough, you realize on those down days, that's coming again. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. It's going to be down here for a little bit, but I know I'm going to come back up. So I always tell people when you're down there to, to let it all out, go all the way down. You're not at the bottom, get to the bottom and get it all out. So when you come back up, you're coming about lighter. You have all that weight off. You'll come up higher next time. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, I spend a lot of time helping folks. One, understand that PTSD isn't something that's wrong with you. It's, it's what happened to you. Um, I have a lot of history of, of domestic violence. Um, my P a lot of my PTSD first came from people uh, who are asshats and they don't know how to be nice to people. Uh, so I had a situation where like the bandaid was ripped off and everybody's story, everybody's PTSD story is very, very different. Um, but, but I had buried a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma that I didn't even know existed. And then when the bandaid got ripped off, it was like squeezing out a thing of toothpaste and then trying to put it back into the container and yeah. it's yeah. just messy. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I, I got knocked down pretty significantly, but I only have a short time here with you and everybody knows my story. So, um, when you came home, so how old were you when, when the, uh, attack happened? I was 35, 35. Okay. I actually turned 36 a week after I got out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for six months. Okay. And, uh, did you, did you come home here and were you at Walter Reed? Is that where you No, all the burns go to Bamsey in okay. Fort Houston, San Antonio. Okay. Uh, so yeah, y'all go to San Antonio, all the burns go there, but that's a commonly thing. Oh, Walter Reed, everybody goes to Walter Reed. Well, that, and <laughs> so, yeah. I think they just, they, they're just out there. Right. So I, yeah. I wasn't aware that there was, there was another facility. A friend of mine worked at Walter Reed. That's why um, I had asked because I was going to say, did you know her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Fort um, Sam has, has the best burn unit. Um, that's where all the medical staff train in the military, no matter okay. what branch they are. If you're going to be a medic, a nurse, whatever, you're going to train there. Okay. Yeah. So I do have to go back to before you join the military, and then we're going to get back <laughs> to this because I think this is very important. This, this is extremely important. So I saw in an interview that you used to work at a roller skating rink. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in the high school days i had the mullet i was the roller skating dj at skate world in california <laughs> so i i spent a lot of time at skate plus and um yeah i was the girl that was hanging out in the dj booth driving you crazy like you know that girl right Play this song Play this song i want this song 
You do Rexers only. Rexers only. It's <laughs> yes, yes, and that was that was so much fun. I loved those days, and a lot of times I go back to those days. Like I literally, I am in Florida. I'm teaching. Um, I'm in the hotel catching up on work, and I had to run out and get lunch in my Mustang convertible, and I was jamming out to '80s rock because oh, I love it. The, yeah. the, if I could go back for one weekend, just just one weekend. One. I drove the Mustang too, <laughs> where it looks like it looked like a souped-up Pinto. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I had a I had a Mustang GT when I was uh, a little bit older than that. So yeah, we uh, we had some fun in those days, and I and I do think it's great to go back to those days once in a while. I think sometimes we need we need to check out of this reality and, and yeah, go back and definitely. go back there. So um, a few friends that are listening, they too uh, they they too spent a lot of time at the roller skating rink. So. <laughs> So you're, you're a DJ, uh, you're skating backwards, speed skate, all that stuff. Uh, when did you make the decision to go into the military? Was it at a young age? Was it right around that time? It was right around that time because I was lost. I dropped out of school at 16. I was DJ at the roller skating rink, working at a video store, getting in trouble on the side, <laughs> going down the wrong path. Yeah. And, uh, and so to my uncle, he was uh, only six years older than me. So like a big brother said, let's go in the military together. Oh, like, that's we, so both, cool. we both need this. Let's go together on a buddy system. He failed the ASVAB. <laughs> <laughs> I passed, so I went in by myself. Oh, shenanigans. <laughs> but I, I need it for sure. My mom still tells the story today. Um, she would not let me play football when I was a kid because she was afraid I'd get hurt. I was only allowed to play baseball. Oh, boy. But, she's, but I'm like, but mom, at 17, you signed for me to go in the Army. Right. Maybe I knew you needed it, and I had a couple of drinks first. <laughs> I know you needed it. Now, is, did, okay, so and we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about guilt because uh, guilt is huge in yeah. many situations when it comes to PTSD. So I'm sure that you have some very valid um, survivor's guilt because you said you lost. Um, was it? It was four other folks in your in your yeah. unit, um, and then does your mom hold any guilt? for signing that paper because she had to sign for you to go in right no she is she's clear i made that tour this was my decision to go back on this one so i was out for 10 years okay i think if someone right. happened at a younger age she might have been a little harder for that i mean besides just the having your your child blown up and my mom's you know like i said she wouldn't let me play football i mean in the hospital she couldn't even hold a juice cup like up to my mouth for me to drink out of the straw because she's afraid she's gonna hurt me oh my goodness <laughs> uh, uh. Um, but for what? me, yes, of course, the survival's guilt is, um, it's not, again, it comes along, like I said, it comes along with the PTSD. It's, I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's going to hit me time to time, but I, I've learned to talk to myself and to remind myself, and I tell others to do the same thing, think about it. If I didn't make it home, what would I want for the ones that made it home? I'm not going to want them to make life, right? I want them to live their life to the fullest, and they want the same for me. I know they want this for all of us that came home. They want that for us. They want us to live. I know I've talked to their families. They really enjoy what I do. They, you know, they're there for me. They support me. And that means everything. You know, I can't waste the life I've been giving, you know? Right. Like, how can I sit on the couch and just drink my life away and go, oh my God, I shouldn't be alive when those guys aren't alive and they're, they're right. not here to see their family. So I can't waste the fact that they die and let them die in vain. I got to keep living. Those are my four angels that look after me. 
Keep yep. out trouble as much as they can. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like they have a lot of work to do up there while yes. they're kind of directing you. Like, no, 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 we're we're gonna go over here. We're, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that today. I think sometimes um, they just test me just to get a good laugh too. <laughs> uh, I I agree. I agree. I have I have a few pretty impressive angels up there. Um, so we do, do like I do talk to public safety folks, but there's gonna be a lot of folks that are gonna be listening to this because you know I'm I'm hoping that you'll have an opportunity to share it and. And we're going to talk about some, some amazing things that you have going on. Um, but there are folks out there that don't understand the importance. Now, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, going, to, I'm going to kind of relate these things uh, to two things. There were times where I, it got too dark for me. Couldn't find my way out. There were decisions that I was going to be making that were not going to end well. But I chose to live. And I chose to live. I, I wasn't given that opportunity, but I, I, well, I guess maybe I was given the opportunity, but I chose to live. And I, I looked at it as a second chance because there were a few times that I was, I was close. I know that there are folks that are listening that are in that same headspace um, where they don't feel like they belong here, where they, they don't feel like they're worthy enough to be here. If, if you were sitting and holding space with those folks, what would you tell them about your opportunity to have a second chance here versus them choosing to stay here. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. Like you said it perfectly, you chose to stay here. <laughs> it's yeah. a choice. It's, it's a choice you really have. And, you know, everybody's got their different situation of why they go to that place. Um, when you're thinking that I've, I've done it, I've, I've thought about it. I know my, my grandchildren helped me knowing I didn't have any then. I yeah. just knew that one day, you know, as long as I'm here to someday, we'll watch my children grow up, hold my grandchildren then I got to keep going on. You know, that, I know that was one time that saved me. My angel saved me. There's always different things you got to grasp to know that you are loved and that you matter and you're here for a reason. We don't always know that reason. Um, it could be, I, maybe I lived because my granddaughter, you know, maybe she couldn't be here if I wasn't here. If somebody didn't teach her that she's going to become president or something, you know, it's yes. something way down the line. You just don't know. And we beat ourselves up for questions. Well, I don't understand this. understand that you don't have to right. understand it. Just know you're doing something. Um, what I say all the time is do what you can with what you have where you're at. It's so oh, simple. I love that. It's, it's Eisenhower. I can't steal it from him, but, okay. <laughs> but that's, I, I saw that I, that one day and I got a college and ever since, you know, it's like, wow, that's a great rule of thumb. Whether you're paying it forward in your business life, your personal life, do what you can with what you have where you're at. It's so simple, but you can make a big difference. It that. really, it really is. So I joke, and you said that you wanted to do the shock radio thing. And you know, that I, I, I 100% certifiably convinced that I was destined to be on the this side of the microphone with some type of talk show. I used to have whole talk shows with my stuffed animals and, <laughs> you know, I was, I was always the host and, and that's just what I did. Never in a million years would I have thought that by sharing my story publicly, nationally, that it was going to put me exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, and I'm sure you hear it too, is that folks will reach out to you and say, dude, you saved me. Yeah. Uh, you, you, ha you have to get those. I, and I, you, did an a actually, you, you did a TikTok on it. And on the days that you don't feel like moving forward, those are the people that, that keep yeah. you going forward, isn't it? Yeah. There's always that message you get. It's saying you get it when you need it. Um, you know, hey, I've been following you for two years. You don't know about this, but you saved me get through this or that. It's not necessarily a veteran. It could be I've had women that have been raped, um, lost their children, men, same thing that have been raped. 
um, or any situation, there's, there's so many out there that, that people are going through hard times that they reach out to me for all these things that I, and I talk about this all the time. And I think it's because that I am so open about everything. Yep. And they feel safe sharing that with me. And I always tell them, you know, my response was like, thank you for sharing this with me. I'm honored to know your story. I appreciate you telling me this. And again, let them know that that feeds me too. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I'm the reminder, but then I also need to be reminded. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I agree 100%. And I'm very vocal about my story. You know, you can see me like like today. If you, if you were friends with me on Facebook, you'd see I, I'm, I'm in a convertible in Florida and it's like, torrential downpour and thunder lightning right now. But earlier today, um, I was, I was eating an ice cream and I posted a picture with a smile and, you know, talked about not just settling to be like kind of the vanilla malt. You got to bring the the whipped cream and be the, you know, be the whipped cream and the cherry. And that's who I've always been. And a lot of times I get criticized for being too loud for talking too much. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, somebody asked me once, they're like, you know, why are you so vocal about your story? Like, doesn't it embarrass you? Or, you know, does, does it make you feel bad? And I've gotten all these questions and right. somebody said it and I don't even know who, and I can't, I, I, I'm giving credit to the person that said it to me. I just can't remember who it was at this time. And they said, I would, I will, I would rather struggle loudly. So others don't have to struggle silently. Nice. Yes. That's amazing. So true. And That's what it does. It's, it's so healing. And it's always weird for me too. Like, yeah, I heal people. I save them. That sounds weird me saying that, but I've learned over the years by sharing my story, I can help put life in another perspective for somebody who might be doubting something at that time and they hear at the right time. You know, yeah. there's always that one person for sure that hears it that I really need it to know. So I, I love to compare, not compare stories as like, yeah, I'm going to one up you because I don't think I can one up you on this one. But what, what I do like to do is bring relevance back to things. And there's a lot of folks in my 911 family and the fire and EMS family. And I'm sure in, you know, in those that are serving is that they come to a crossroad and they're like, I don't think I can do this profession anymore. And I don't know if I should, if I should leave, if I should go do something else. But one thing that folks always fear, and I ask this in surveys, I ask it when somebody wants to talk to me about like leaving that, that profession that they're in, is they are afraid of losing their identity of who they are. You have uh, the epitome of losing so much about your identity, not only mentally, you know, but physically, mentally, and emotionally. What would you say to the folks that are worried about losing who they think they're supposed to be? That's the problem. They're, they're, they're worried about losing who they think they're supposed to be. But yeah. we have different chapters in our life. There's, there's all kinds of chapters. You know, you can't, that's why we don't judge people from something they've done in the past. That's something they passed. They've learned from that. They changed and they got a better chapter. That's what happens. We all have that chapter. We're like, oh, no one would have <laughs> liked me back then. <laughs> um, and that's just it. Don't be afraid to change it. Go to the next chapter. There's exciting things out there. It's, it's who you are that one thing doesn't identify you. I mean, I had such a hard time when I, I mean, I had to leave my job. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, no I, was, choice. I was knocked out of the game and I was like, how do I do it? And when I really, really hit, when I got home in the hospital, I thought, oh, they're going to fix me. I'll be back out in the battlefield, helping everybody else doing what I do. But I can't serve anymore. And it really hit me when I got home and I realized how injured I really was. And I just sat down. I had a, a footlocker that had all my military stuff in it. And so I went looking through that, there's like the red cloth, the red cross uh, tag that was with the stuff that was shipped back. And 
I just realized my job, that's it. It's over. I can't, I'm, I'm useless, you know? And that's why I just sat on and cried. And, and that's one of the hardest time when it hits. Like I'm useless now to my children, a survivor's guilt. I prayed to God every night for that first year over for over a year, just to let me go. Yeah. Let me go be with the other guys. I shouldn't be alive. You know, what am I doing here? I'm just a burden. Everybody just let me go. But you know, that's a very different story now, right? Like, you know, right. you don't, you don't believe that same thing. No, Cause I was going to say, you got to hang on. That's why you got to hang on. Cause there's something around the corner. You got to heal. You got to get there. And, and there's times I got to go back and reset and do some more healing. Yep. Like, Oh, I'm not all perfect. There's I might have to shut down for a week and just kind of take care of me and self care. So I'm trying to get better at that balance thing, but it's so hard because the well, we all, we all are because now number one, if you're in public safety or if you're in the military, yeah. you are a service person and service people don't serve themselves. They serve others. They have a servant heart and it is extremely challenging to turn that self-care inward. And I feel like a lot of times we are the carpenters who, whose houses aren't finished. Yes. <laughs> it's like that mechanic always has like three junky cars in his front yard. He never works on his own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. So if you were to, um, if, if I was to say, I need you to pick, and I know there's a ton. So, so I'm, I'm going to appreciate this, but what would you say would be the, at the top of your resources that was the most successful in pulling you out of the dark places? I know you get a toolbox and we'll talk about a couple of those tools, but what would you say is the most successful one that, that pulled you up out of, out of the darkness? It's getting together with others that have been through what I've been through, um, doing stuff with them that connection, the unity there, and then being a human again, being doing stuff I like again, you know, going back to finding that hobby or that sport you like to do to know that you can still do that. So all these nonprofits that, that come in and they help do that, they bring the veterans to different retreats. Like, hey, you guys come here, talk together, learn how to water ski. You, know, yeah. you thought you could never do this again. No. Learn how to surf. Those are those types of things that really save you and make you oh okay I'm, I can still do all this stuff I figure I just got to figure out a new way to do it but I can do it right right and I and I do think that is that's really really paramount and I'm, you do have some nonprofit stuff going on too so I definitely want to touch base on that uh, but I think we take ourselves out of the game sometimes you know I used to be and I'm not saying I'm not fun anymore but I used to be a lot more fun <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah I used to be a lot more fun like. I, if, if, if everybody said, you know, at a 9-1 conference, hey, let's go to an escape room, I'd be like, yes, let's go. And now I'm like, ha, huh, how about we not lock ourselves in a room and not be able to get out? I'll meet you at the yeah. bar. <laughs> I'll just be at the bar. <laughs> I'm going to escape at the bar. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll meet you there. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I don't find joy in anymore, but I, I do think yeah. it's really important finding the joy in, in even maybe even different things, right? Like, right. And that's just part of growing. You know, you grow, you get older, and you realize that joy. I used to play, you know, football. In fact, football hurts now. So now I got to find it, you know, I got to golf. <laughs> I got to golf. A lot less aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less aggressive. Um, yeah. So tell me, tell me about some of the things that you have going on. I know you have, um, you know, a couple of different businesses and your comedy. So, so tell the folks about that. Cause I really want folks to, to, to watch you, to follow you because the things that you say, the way that you look at PTSD, it's just, even just in the short time that I've been 
um, privy to know who you are. I've been watching your stuff and it has helped me. So what are the things that you have going on? I know you got forging forward. Tell me about all the stuff, all the things. So yeah, after going through everything, I've learned, you know, doing these outlet stuff and there's a, they do some great things. They help me. So I said, okay, how do I do that? I kept going back and and doing fundraisers for them and speaking and, and helping with that stuff. But I think I know how I like the, the one little part I like. Let me take that and see if I can help veterans and first responders with it. Love it. So that's why I started forging forward. I forge forward through the fire. So I want to teach others how to forge forward to learn these outlets. You come away on retreat. Uh, we just had one a month ago in North Carolina where you were doing small groups. After they keep that camaraderie close, no one gets left out. I like the smaller groups. Um, we learned how to forge a knife. We had was five veterans and one police officer from West Virginia. And so we brought them all in from Florida, everywhere. And they learned how to forge a knife at a railroad spike. Wow. And they learned ax throwing. And then you sat around the fire and you did some fishing together and that camaraderie. And it was just a great, great healing weekend. You leave with a skill. Yep. A skill that you not lit a tool, another tool that you can use at home. And new for, people and new people yeah, in your circle. Yeah, the new people in your circle and that spider web of life, those connections that can help you. And just so neat watching people grow from that. And we have one coming up in October. We're going to have surfing lessons here in Myrtle Beach. We got six veterans coming in. They're going to surfing lessons, take a fishing, and again, that camaraderie and sit around the fire and let's share stories and help each other and make that community stronger. That it, That's amazing. Like, it, and so the, the way that I got connected to you. Um, as I mentioned, my friend, Jason, who's a, 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 in the fire service here in Massachusetts, uh, they are, he, he works with the folks at Celtic irons, uh, which is a, a firefighter training type school. And they are bringing you in on October 1st and 2nd. So I think October 1st is a 6 p.m. show. And then Saturday, October 2nd is a 2 p.m. show. My goal is to get to the to the Friday night show because um, I want I want to see you. I want I want to say hi and then hug your neck. Um, but this show that you're doing, 20 bucks. I've heard it's amazing. Can you tell folks that I'm hoping are gonna come after they they hear this? What can they expect? from one of these types of shows that you do? Yeah, well, you never know which way I'm gonna go, but the basis of it, <laughs> I don't know. I you, just, you, just I, make, I, you just make stuff I, up as you go I along. I speak ADD, I'm like. <laughs> you knew you were I my spirit my, animal. Right. <laughs> I shared my story before, you know, who I was, let you know who I was, what I went, went through, kind of we talked a little bit here, but I'll go more in detail, my injury, yep. my recovery, how I did that. And then we'll show everybody else how to get back and talk about things that I've learned that, you can use no matter who you are, what you're going through to help yourself. And I'll actually end it with like a 10 minute stand up set to show you how the comedy part works. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to come best friends. You might cry a little bit and then we're going to laugh at the end. So, Oh, I know I'm crying. I, I am definitely <laughs> a crier. I'm a sympathy crier. I'm a people person all day long. I chances I'll, I'll cry. I think I was I, with my new company. I think I'm going to get um, a branded tissues <laughs> I, I think that's a good idea. You get all the little tissues yes. with, your, with your business card information on them. Um, so, so forging forward, and is this show that you're doing through forging forward? Is this part of that? No, this is actually where I have, I have a speakers. I'm co-founder of Bravo 748 Military and Law Enforcement Speakers Bureau. Okay. So when I met uh, Jamie, 
my fiance, who was my manager at first, but I wanted who is my- amazing, by the way. Like she, she like organizes your life. Just saying. Yes, I yeah. We would do it. Like, there would be no forging forward. I mean, Bobby would be speaking. He'd probably just be like in the mountains right now, hiking somewhere. <laughs> she helps that. You know, I get to be the fun character, and then she gets behind the scenes. And actually, I have a great idea, babe. Let's do this. How are we gonna do that? I don't know. You're gonna figure that out for me, right? But we should do this. <laughs> I need a Jamie. I need a Jamie. I need I need a Jamie because I have a lot of ideas, but I too have ADHD. So therefore right. it's in my head and it never gets executed. So yeah. Or you have one of those bad days and you shut down and she's like, okay, you need this not out this today. Like just give me 20 more minutes to be mad at the world and <laughs> whatever's going on inside. I can't explain. Just give me 20 more minutes. <laughs> yep. So that's- we started speakers bureau. Yeah. So we help uh veterans and first responders you know law enforcement get speaking engagements she does all Excellent. this back behind the scenes paperwork stuff for that because when she first, yeah she first hired me she was actually working at, in the mental health she's CEO of a mental health company and they hired me to come speak and i was just like oh yeah airfare hotel whatever your budget allows she's like that's not how you do business <laughs> so she got on me that's how you do business like, i'm gonna help you Okay. Yeah, I I definitely need a Jamie because I'm doing those shenanigans. Like, you know, I just want you to hear the story. I want you to hear the presentation because I know it's going to help. And I would give everything away for free if I could. (laughs) So that's exactly what she does. And that's what we all do. And that's why we need someone like that to do the business side. That's why we started Bravo 748 to help with that. That's awesome. And then you're also trying to raise money for, uh, is it a movie or a documentary? What, tell me about well, that. That all depends on uh, how much we raise. So okay. we have the script for the movie of my life. Um, how it happened kind of after the post, you know, going, getting talked into comedy and moving forward. Okay. And then we also, the documentary, cause Jamie travels with me wherever we go, you know, us trying to book the stuff, me being irritating, grumpy and her trying to get me to go do this. <laughs> Because <laughs> if people can see the other side of you, <laughs> um, we travel in an RV, travel around, going like to the event, like we're going to Massachusetts for this. Yeah. If we're filming, we want to film the whole thing. And if people are there, want to talk about how that helped them or share their story, because I want to show that. Yeah. It's so cool. I, can, I can write a book and say, oh, I did this, I did that. You don't know if it's true or not. I can make whatever I want to. Right, right, right. <laughs> but no, if I right. got a documentary and you see it on camera, these other people are telling you, what the, what they got out of this or their story, they're telling what maybe I did for them, but then at the same time they're sharing that story, they can help somebody else that's watching it. Right. You know, that they might be able to relate to them more than they can relate to me. So get my story out there, using my story to get other stories basically, and see how many people can spread the the positive ripple through the pond. Yeah. So two so two things. Um, my friend Joyce. <laughs> um, today she submitted to one of our national conferences to speak on her story. And this is somebody who doesn't speak publicly. Like she just, this is not in her, it's not in her comfort level. And I have watched her grow over the last year in, in knowing her. And part of her story, ironically, is looking for the other types of tools. Like you said, retreats. She just recently went on um, a retreat and she found that extremely cathartic and it has helped her in her journey. But a lot of times we don't even know that these tools are out there that, that exist. My right. tool of choice, um, which would, what helped me when I was at the end of my rope, um, was, was EMDR. And I don't know if you've ever had the 
uh, opportunity to do EMDR? Have you have you ever entertained? Yeah, that? I tried it early on when I was I probably like oh eight, like a year after. Yeah, I didn't like it. I know a yeah. lot of people loved it. It worked for them. For me, I I couldn't stand sitting there. My brain. I just, I had to get out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, and, and again, there's some, you know, valid points there is that whatever the treatment of choice is for you. And that's why I asked what helped you because yeah. I know that certain things for certain people just, just don't work. And I wasn't able to do the light, like the waving of the finger thing yeah. for EMDR. I used uh, vibrating paddles in either hand, which I oh, guess okay. did the same thing, but I got to keep my eyes closed. So I wasn't like looking at the shiny things. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I couldn't hold both paddles. So they just. <laughs> oh, <that's>... oh, <laughs> See, yeah, it's one of um, those things. If I, if you were sitting in front of me, it, it would have clicked. I should have just kept my mouth yeah. shut. <laughs> <laughs> that's just great. There's so many things out there and it's things you can do like hiking. That's what we want to show. Like, just a hike can help, you know, any kind of exercise. I, that's great. Been a great outlet for me, you know, like yeah. going to the gym, running, walking, hiking, being a mother nature is so healing and resetting. It's, it's amazing. And it doesn't cost anything. You have some gas to get to a hill or depending where you live. Um, there's all kinds of places to go walking, hiking, stuff like that. Just get the body moving. gets the brain. It helps you think pos more positive, I think. Yeah. And I don't think people realize the magnitude of that. I think they yeah. hear it, but I don't think they. Until and I you think, really do it. Yeah. And, and I it's think a hard thing because you can't just do it once or twice. You get, but once you, it takes about three weeks to really get into a routine and then you're just, you're addicted to it. And right. It's really helpful. And you can do it with other people in your family too. So, you know, folks that are, you know, Maybe they see you in a, a lot of stressful environments because, I mean, I'm assuming this has been extremely challenging for your family, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I did a podcast with um, my daughter's 18 now, and I think she was like, she just turned 17. And I, the on my, my podcast, uh, episode two, I did it with my daughter because I thought it was important for her, for people to hear her story about what it was like to yes. grow up with not one, but two public safety parents and one who has PTSD. So therefore <laughs> she was not able to do anything. <laughs> right. Yes. That's the stressful part. It's yeah. I mean, you think about like mine growing up in the house where you got crazy dad who's going to war all the time and he comes back injured. He's acting crazy now and different and weird with the PTSD. Mom was the caregiver. She doesn't have time. Uh, my youngest, my oldest daughter was 15 at the time. And she stepped up and became one of the parents in the house to help out a lot during that time. So then it's like her transition, like, okay, now I, I'm my own boss, right? No, you're not your own boss yet. Right, <laughs> you're still right, 15, right. 16, 17 years old. You're still, but you did a great job. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that's one thing we got to figure out how to weave that. Yeah. She did an amazing job. So, so was it a given that you were coming back from this with PTSD? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a given. I already had uh, issues from the other three wars, <laughs> okay. those tours, but I was definitely already having issues with, I, I would notice that you're only home so long. And then by the time you really start to kind of figure it out, you're gone again. But I mean, I couldn't handle a drive-through in if they didn't know their order and they weren't ready. I just drive by the drive. They're just ah, forget it. We're not eating anything. We're going home. We have cereal. Okay. <laughs> so, so obviously anger issues or, or was it anger issues or would you say lack of control? Okay. I think it's, yeah, both the anxiety with it with, Oh my God, we got to have this thing. I don't want, 
the people behind us waiting in line. It doesn't matter. It's our turn. Right. But I can't, I can't do that. I can't shut that off. Like yeah. you guys got order right now. We're all worried about what they even today. If I don't know the the restaurant and I go to it, I don't go to it frequently, regularly, I, I got to go inside and take my time with the menu. If I pull up, I can't be there. Oh, just a second. You know, let me look. I'll freak out. Anxiety hits me. So I won't even go there. Very, very order. interesting. Even yeah, if the person's ordering, like Jamie's been ordering, like, what do you want? Like, I don't know. Nothing. Nothing. I don't want nothing. <laughs> and I get nothing. She's like, okay. No, <laughs> the person was trying like, no, but you need this. You can get this. Out. Just forget it. It's too late now. I can't. <laughs> and then once they're there, I'm there. I can't do anything about right. it. Right. I know. I'll get hungry later, but I'll be all right. <laughs> well, and, and so do you think that... Do you think that your family understands? And the reason why I'm asking is because I kept a lot of my stuff to myself for yeah. a really long time because, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't want them to, to know what it was going on. And I'm not sure why I think now I'm a huge advocate for like, all right, listen, when stuff starts going sideways, like you have to communicate with your family Yes. because they need to know because why we learn, we learn. but yeah, I did the same thing. I, in the beginning when I was praying to, to die every night, I didn't tell them that when they saw me. I was happy. Dad's like, yeah, I'm going to make it. We're going to be okay. And, da, da, da. and, and it was always happy and joy times. You know, there's times I can't help it. I lose it. I crying at the mall because of some weird sound that I heard, yeah. um, you know, things like that. So my oldest daughter kind of got it. The, uh, the other ones, my, my son and my other daughter were nine, eight, nine. So they didn't really get it right away. My son's quiet. He didn't really talk about it. My youngest daughter, you know, you women, very vocal. <laughs> She's the baby, female. She's going to tell me, Dad, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? Man? Why are you being dumb? <laughs> yeah, they have no filter, especially at that age. Yeah. No, oh, no we'll be filter. Line for a movie theater. And so me, I got focused. I got to order tickets. I'm watching the people come out of the theater. I'm watching our back. My family's with me. When they're with me, I'm more protective. So I'm on guard. If I'm by myself, I can do bigger crowds and stuff because I can position myself. But now I got my family to worry about. Yeah. So just ordering movie tickets at movie theater. So I stand in line. Was my daughter trying to tell me something at school, and I'm like, "Stop! Stop! Stop! Wait! Wait till I get the tickets. Wait till I get the tickets." Why, Dad? So dumb. Why can't I just tell you right now? We're just right. going to the movies. Like it's no big deal. And like we're just gonna go home. Keep us up. We're just gonna go home. So I. <laughs> I and, it's and, weird. It, well, and and that's that hyper vigilance thing, right? Yeah. So I I'm the same way. I, escalate, I, now you're, you're you're like, oh, just can people tell them acting like this? <laughs> Right. That makes well, and, and then you're like, they just, they just don't understand. And the ironic part for me is I ran a 911 center. I was in a 911 center for 20 years. I was the, uh, the master of taking in 7,000 pieces of input, whether it was, you know, audibly, visually, you know, feeling what, whatever it was, I, I was the master at it. And when my PTSD kind of started, when I, when I realized like, you know, when I look back, I was not able to have excessive stimulation. And, and then when my husband would say things like, you know, uh, if, if he's talking and his pager goes off, so he's on the fire department. So he's talking to me and now his pager's going off. So there's like beep and in the background. And now I feel like I want to rip his face off and pour salt on it because I can't tolerate all of the noises. Yes. And, and he says, how were you in the 9-1 center? You were fine when you were in the 9-1 center. And it's like, but you don't understand. 
it's different. It's different. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's it's so hard to kind of grasp that, but it is. And it's sometimes it's not even noises you would normally hear. Right. I've had balloons like that. They're filling them up with the helium. We we're getting balloons for a birthday party once, and the noise, whatever it's making, it's not a noise I heard in the war zone or anything like that. But it just, right. I had to go outside, but I could barely see then. I was I was newly injured. I saw bandages on my head with no skin on it. Um, but walking around, <laughs> I'd wear <Yeah>. goggles <laughs> with medicine in my eyes, and normally someone would walk with me. But I was like, I gotta get out of the store. I just gotta and go. I, I just gotta I go. Went. I couldn't find the car because I couldn't see that well with all the medicine in my eyes. So I just leaned against the podium right there in this outdoor mall, slid down the side of the post and just started, curled up and started crying. Yeah. The youngest daughter walks out and goes, oh my God, and runs back in the store screaming, dad's crying, something's wrong with dad. So now the whole store knows. But I mean, this was like in 08, you know, I still really, really still had my hand and I just, I couldn't do it, that noise. And I was upset that I am grown man my child has to help me i can't find my car i'm supposed to take care of them they're not supposed to take care of me right have, has, has that gotten easier over the last couple of years you allowing others to help because i know it was super hard for I me <laughs> yeah. i still try to let people help me and ask for stuff um you know we're doing this fundraising for the movie and i hate asking the money for to, to make the movie um it's uh, every day, but you got to keep because algorithms on social media, I got to keep putting it out there. So some people are like, oh my God, this person's heard me like 20 times asking, everybody gave me a dollar. We right. could make this movie. We could help so many people. And I just hate, I like, can't someone just see this and go, this needs to be out there. Here's your money. Make the movie. I don't want to beg people. I, I know. I, 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 I just know how important it is. If, if it's about me and like, oh, look at me, look at my movie, look what I'm going to do. No, but it's, I know it's about helping others. And that's why pushes me to, to keep going on and, and putting my hat out in my little cup and say, please, let's help, help, help. Well, I, I mean, maybe you can just stand outside of the mall, right? Like, be like, hey. I could probably make pretty good money just saying wounded veteran. And just, I th- well, and that's, that's what I'm thinking, like, because, you know, people empathize and they use what they, I got, right? It's do what I can with what I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly. And if I held the fireman, it'd make it even better. <laughs> yes, yes, one hundred percent. Yes. So, um, so you just had a birthday. Yes, I but you have two birthdays, day. right? Two. Well, yes, I have an alive day and my birthday. So my birthday, I just turned fifty. Okay. Five zero. So I went and bought myself a truck for my midlife crisis. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's how it goes, right? Yeah. Instead of a sports car, I went with Dodge Hemi. Big old truck. <laughs> yeah. And for my 50th birthday, I'm going to be crying in, in <laughs> to my, my truly spiked seltzer beverage. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get a fire engine red truck. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, yes. I will, I will take that all day long. Um, so how often are you speaking, like doing speaking engagements? If somebody did want you... Um, to come and and speak, whether it's a keynote presentation or something like you're doing uh, through the Celtic Irons, what what does that look like for you? Are you, are you game? You're doing keynote presentations, etc. Yes, in person, I would love to. I tried a couple on Zoom and stuff like that, and it's just that connection is just not there, and I just right. I won't do those anymore. Yeah, because um, you just you don't. I can't talk with the people. I want to be with the people. Uh, <laughs> It's, oh my God, we are, so, we are energy, so much alike. The energy in the room is just amazing when you have this human energy going back and forth and, and 
having that story time and talking and hearing the stories afterwards. Zoom, it looks like the beginning of Brady Bunch, like all these little swears I'm talking. <laughs> and there's a story of a lovely true, lady. True story, true story. But, I, and, I've, and I've had no choice but to do some of the things that I do because I teach 911 telecommunicators you know, I do a lot of leadership training, personality, behavior to, you know, try to get folks to know. But now that after they... teaching that stuff, let me ask you a question. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> after what's teaching up? that stuff and going through that, and does it ever bring something back up for you? It stirs it up again. Yeah. So what I've learned, and I actually said this, and this is a great question, um, especially for my friend who's going to start sharing her story. And I have another friend that has just recently started sharing her story. In the beginning, I was a hot mess. I couldn't get through it without crying. And what I learned is there is a type of, I, I think it's cognitive behavioral therapy where they, and I think this is the one, don't, don't quote me on it, yeah. um, is, is when you keep telling the story. Yes. You, you just keep yeah, verbalizing, you just keep telling the story and you just keep telling the story. And, and, and at some point, that emotional charge starts to separate from the words that are coming out of your mouth. And, and I have noticed that, um, but there are times where depending on what's going on, if I'm, if I'm struggling with something in my own life and now I have to go do, you know, a presentation, I have to flick a switch and be on people aren't yes. paying me to come and be like Debbie Downer. And, you know, but then sometimes when I was Debbie Downer, that's the show that made the most impact. Right. It just seems to work when, when you're there, you work it and you're sometimes you're down, sometimes you're up. We think they're trying to turn that switch on. You got to be on and put together. I don't care if you just got a phone call. You got to go up there and, and do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. No, yeah, it does. It does come about, up. Yeah. Talking about it over and over. Yeah, we're just, there's a, a company out of uh, London called Inner Armor. And so they're talking about building the Inner Armor in here. And they're working, they're trying to bring this over to the States and they're working with the military. Uh, they just talked to did this program they have. It's a two to three day program. And they're doing the law enforcement in North Carolina. And so they want to bring this all over the U.S. So I'd love to introduce them to you. Yes, you tell them what they do. Because I think you would really enjoy what they do. I couldn't believe it. I did a, a crash course just to do it. And it helped me. And I, I don't usually seek out any kind of therapy. I'm the stubborn guy. Oh, <laughs> and see, so I, really, I enjoyed it. I really like talking to Nick. Oh, my God. And then I went and talked to the, the, the police officers. They were doing it, too. There's dispatchers in there, there's police officers in there. And so I got to talk to the room as they kind of shared what they made these, these different, you, they had little, these questions they do. Then they have these Legos you build stuff with. And it's just a really neat thing. And it's easy. It's not, it doesn't make you feel, feel like you're laying on the couch and someone's judging you. Yeah. It's very easy to open up to your peers the way they kind of designed. It's, it's an amazing program. And I think it will take off here and, and we all need it. So I'm, backing them 100 you know yes. already they're, yes they're all all the yeses please please introduce <laughs> them to me and and here's the reason why is because i went through stages in my recovery in a sense where um you know i did the talk therapy the, the talk therapy thing at first yeah. and, and it was like, okay, that helped a little bit. And then there was, when I left my 911 center, I was forced to leave a job that I loved um, because of what was going on with me. And I thought when I left, things were going to get better, but they got worse. They got so much worse because I didn't give myself the opportunity to mourn that person that I used to be. Right. I just, 
I was like, I'm not her anymore. And it was extremely hard. Um, and then the, the more I would get knocked down, the more that would come up, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the, like I said, Pandora's box is open now. I can't put the stuff back in. And every time I get knocked down, I will seek out if, if the tool that I had in my toolbox isn't working, which EMDR for me is, is pretty, the, is, is very much the norm that that's my go-to. Like my therapist is on text and I'm like, you got any appointments coming up? I'm coming in hot. Like yeah. I got a new trigger. I don't know where the hell this just came from, but um, yeah, I, I want to punch somebody. And um, so I will always go towards EMDR because that for me, it does what I need it to do. But on the flip side, I want other tools. I want different tools because EMDR is hard. EMDR is hard. You go places that you didn't even know existed. Yes. And I hear stuff about it. Like I said, I couldn't do it, but I hear some amazing things. Um, And then again, it brings stuff up like something you may have forgotten. Like you said, you know, it didn't exist to you. But you know, it it did exist. You just didn't remember it. Right. Uh, And then it was like, oh, that's. That explains a that lot. Is, yeah. Like, and, and that's what this, what they do with the, their program with the inner armor. It gets you to you and answering yourself, going, "Oh, I knew it was right there all along. I, I knew what I was supposed to be doing." Right, and it just brings it to light again, and and it changes. Like I said, you get a new trigger, things change. So to do this again and again, well, you'll change as you go through. Something else will be the one thing that's really controlling you at that time. And that's just what it is. And, and we got to keep going to therapy and doing this stuff. Um, we talk about tools. And I say, you're, you're like a house, right? Mm-hmm. One person didn't build that house. You had the framers, you had the drywall guy, you had the roofers, you had all these different people laying cement, foundation. So all these tools and different people to make it, they use different tools. Same way to keep it up. Your body and your mind is the same way. You need to constantly, you need different tools. Depending on what's going down is what tool you might need. You might need a roof for this time. You need an electrician to rewire some stuff. <laughs> so that's why you need multiple tools for sure. I love that. I love that. And I'm going to, t- I'm going to tell you the name of my book. Okay. But you can't okay. steal it, but it, there's some irony in, in what you just said. So the, it's, the book is up here because that failure yes. to execute thing, but the title yes. of my book. My, that's where my poetry is. book is too. I got one right there. <laughs> so, and I write poetry too. See, this is weird. Um, but the title of my book is, is blueprint for a tragedy, rebuilding your foundation after trauma. Nice. Right. So it's doing yeah. that because yeah. sometimes our it. foundation gets rocked. And, and, and we have to bring in the folks that, that know how to fix it. Yeah. And you re-level it. To say you need professional help. Someone understands that has been trained how the human brain works, but you also need to talk to people who's been there, how they dealt with it, you know, cause that's where they learn too. <laughs> right. We learn by living and that's how it got taught in the school someday. Cause we lived it and learned it. So it just comes around. So you need both those things around you for sure. We do. We do. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time. I have a feeling our paths are going to be crossing in, in some other places. So it is a pleasure to meet you as, as I said, thank you so much for your service. My heart has been breaking for, for all of our service folks, you know, for our country, you know, we're, we're struggling, but as long as we can stay vigilant and and stay connected to each other, I I think we're going to be okay. Right. Exactly. That's what I think. So if anybody is listening to this podcast and they stuck it out this far and you want more information on the show in orange mass, 
just message me. I will get you the information. If we need to book a bus from this area, I will happily do that as well. But we need to, we need to go support this guy and, and what he's doing. You're changing lives, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes. From the bottom of my blessed heart, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.